Thank you, Debbie and uh, Ryan. Great job, Judge, Judge George. Thank you very much today. You guys, great job. Uh, yeah, you great job leading singing. Uh, choir, great job to you guys. Uh, Kara, great job playing flute. Kyle Quisenberry. Kyle Quisenberry. That's all I can say. God bless you. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. It's not easy getting up here and playing like that. He's uh, a, a freshman at high school. He said, I want to do this. And he stayed on me for a while until I got him some music. And now you're part of the, part of the band, buddy. So, so glad to have you there. Uh, Ryan mentioned that I told him that Noah would be a, be a good place to start. Uh, because in Sunday school last month, we spent a significant amount of time on the story of Cain and Abel. And we switched some stuff around with when I was going to uh, preach what. I'm not necessarily one of those preachers that's going to sit down at the beginning of the year and make an entire preaching schedule for the entire t- year. It's just not how my mind works. I, I, I want to go one step at a time. And uh, knowing that we had the uh, traditional Sunday, old school Sunday coming up next week, uh, kind of had a week here where I needed to think of something different, kind of stand on its own. And I kept going back and thinking about that Cain and Abel story because there's just really so much there when you look at uh, relationship that, that God had between him and, and these, these two men and, and what transpired in this story. And I started thinking about that to maybe have a sermon with. And I, the more I thought about it, I thought, am I just going to, what's the title going to be? And I'm one of those guys I worry about titles probably way too much. Uh, content's way more important probably, but what's the title going to be? What, what could it possibly, I don't want to just name it Cain and Abel, that's a little too boring. And it came to me finally. Just quite simply, do what's right. Do the right thing in your lives. We know the story of Cain and Abel, but let's go over it just a little bit. Of course, Cain and Abel, the first two people born on earth. Of course, Adam and Eve created from dust and from a rib. But Cain and Abel were born on earth. And we're also going to see the first murder. Of course, we know that Cain, he's going to be a farmer, and Abel, he's going to be a shepherd. Uh, That really has little bearing on this story. I don't feel that one job was better than the other, nor do I think that God for one second thought that. It was about what they were bringing to him, what they were giving. And Abel is going to bring something that we're we're going to find out is the best portion of his lambs, of his newborn lambs, his best things to make that sacrifice to God. And Cain, on the other hand, he'll bring some of his crops, some of his things. And God's going to say, you know what? Abel, great job. Cain, not so much. And Cain's going to get upset about it. He's going to have some some emotional times, perhaps. And God's going to even warn him. What are you going to do, Cain? I can see how you're feeling. What are you going to do? Cain doesn't heed that warning. He murders his brother. And then because of that, he's going to be punished. And his punishment, quite simply, is that he is going uh, to be banished from God's presence. But why did all this happen? Well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Plain and simple. Is that the only slide I have? Because it goes on to say, you know, Christians, we've got to be aware of the fact that here Cain is killing his brother for doing what is right. And you know what? The world is going to hate Christians because we try to do what's right. Because we try to do the right thing. Because we we attempt to be righteous by God. 
And the more I thought about that, the more I started thinking about that hate that the world has right now. And how sad that really is. Especially in our own country. Like we've talked about some of the, uh, the problems that we've had recently where, where people are, are really just hating each other and hating Christians. Yeah, it's, it's a sad, sad situation indeed. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that makes our job all the more important as people who follow Christ. We have that responsibility to do the right thing, to follow that path of righteousness, no matter what the circumstances may be, no matter how hard it may be, and no matter how hard or how bad the world may truly hate us. We have to understand the responsibility by understanding what sin does in our lives. And right from the top, we can look at Cain and see what happened to him. Separation. He was banished from the presence of God. That's going to be a pretty tough thing for Cain. I mean, to think about that for a second, Cain was having conversations with God. Conversations with him. God was warning him on a personal level. That relationship, he was used to living in the presence of God. And now he's banished from that forever. Oh yeah, it was going to be hard on him for sure. But what, what was it that he did? Though He did wrong. Any kind of sin that we have in our lives is, is wrong, is, is going to separate us from God. Sin is any wrongdoing. And the NIV says that in 1 John chapter 5, 17. All is all wrongdoing is sin, is what that verse says. Now, like I said, that's the NIV. I usually use the NLT. The NLT says uh, wicked actions. Wicked actions. All wicked actions are sin. If you want to go to the King James Version, it says the, basically the same thing. All unrighteousness is sin. Now listen, that includes, we know from the book of James, that includes when we know the good we ought to do and we don't do it. So when we know what the right thing is, we know that we should do what's right, but we choose not to do it. Not necessarily that we're going to go and do the exact opposite and do something bad. Just itself choosing not to do the right thing. That's a sin. And that is the kind of thing that separates us, guys, from, from, from the love of God, from his presence. See, the fact is, all this wrongdoing, these wicked actions, this unrighteousness, it has consequences. There, there is consequences to, to our sinful actions. Now, you might say, here on earth, if we go and we steal something, the consequences for that action might be you go to jail. If you go and you commit adultery, the consequences for that action might mean that you are going to have a divorce on your hands. There are consequences for our sins. We know that. But that's not even, I'm not talking about earthly consequences. I'm talking about eternal consequences. Romans 6.23 is a verse that we'll look at. For the wages of sin is death. Death. Now let's think about what they're talking about there. I don't think they're talking about you, you, the wage of your sin, the, the consequence of your sin is death. I, I'm going to kill over and die if I, if I mess up right now and I sin and I do something I shouldn't. No, I think that's talking about eternal death, separation from God. And this, when you die, you do not go to heaven, but you have eternal death. I don't think that death is where you cease to exist either. I think we're talking about hell is what I think they're saying here. See, again, sin has consequences. There's consequences. Plain and simple. 
And we can try our hardest to tell the world that, but we have to show them how important it is by our love. And we also got to tell them. We can't just, you know, butter it up and talk about all the good things that, that we expect to have as Christians, that we know we're going to have, that we have faith in that eternal life in heaven with God, in his presence. I think it's important that we tell the world about the consequences, too. Do you know that the first great awakening that happened in our country? Of course, we know that so many came over to, the, to, to America uh, because they wanted to have freedom of religion. They wanted to be able to come and worship in their own way. But, you know... Like, like Israel, like the entire world, oftentimes people start not coming to church as much, not obeying as much, not believing as much. And the first great awakening in our country when really people had that revival and started coming back to God was when a man by the name of John Edwards preached a very famous sermon called Sinners in the, Hands of angry, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God. Something that the people at that time weren't hearing. Something that they weren't understanding is the fact that sin has consequences. And if we're not careful, y'all, it's like Ryan said, we're in danger if we don't take that seriously. That's a severe punishment when we're talking about being separated from God. Genesis 4.13, Cain, what's he going to say when God says, hey, your punishment is you're banished. You're banished from the land. You're banished from my presence because of what you've done. And you might look at this and you might think, well, Cain, he's, why is he upset? He murdered his own brother in cold blood. And his brother really hadn't done anything to him other than make him jealous, other than, than make him upset because he had been favored, his, his sacrifice had been favored. And, and God's saying, all you got to do is the right thing, Cain. And he, he's going to take it out of his brother. And his only punishment is what? That he has to leave the area? No, let's not underestimate how devastating this punishment was. Cain says, my punishment is too great. Because you banished me from your presence. He can't imagine how life is going to be, how miserable it's going to be. Not living in the presence of God. He says, my punishment is too severe. Oh, people, this is a very severe punishment indeed. One that maybe we can't grasp as much as Cain could. And one that I hope that we never have to think about. Because through Christ Jesus, we don't have to worry about that separation. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But let's look at why. Motivation, if you will. We know that sin's going to cause that separation between us and God. But, but what's your motivation for sin? We can look at Cain's motivation. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. God says, Cain, why are you so angry? Why, why are you so dejected? which is going to mean depressed or downcast or sad. He said, you'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what's right, watch out. Danger. There's sin. It's crouching at the door. It's going to control you. We've got to subdue it. We've got to master it. We cannot let it take control in our lives. And, and Christians, as we stand around, as we sit here this Sunday morning together as a church family, we're probably... Probably many of you are thinking, oh, that can, wait, sin's not going to, we've got sin subdued, we've got it mastered. Do we? Without Christ, we, we certainly do not. And even with Christ, we continue to fall short. But we've got to be careful not to let it, let it control us. We've got to repent from it. We've got to turn back to God. And we have to do what's right. See, God is giving Cain a chance here. God sees the danger that Cain's in. He tells him, he warns him. It sends right there, buddy. It is going to get you. 
Why are you angry? Why are you dejected? See, what was his motivation? Well, anger. He was, he was hurt. Hurt feelings, perhaps. Lonely. Felt victimized. Now, those right there, those things that you see, those are not sins. It is not a sin to be angry or to have hurt feelings or to feel lonely or to feel like you've been victimized by somebody who's done you wrong or to feel depressed or dejected. Those aren't sins. They're not. But they sure can strengthen temptation. They make it really so much easier for us to fall victim to that temptation. All these feelings. And you could add so many more. Cain is in danger of making a big mistake because he was angry. Maybe he didn't have a right to be angry. The fact is, it was his own fault. He hadn't done what was right. But that anger led to that sin. And when we really look at it, all these things that may lead or strengthen temptation, the fact is, temptation is not a sin. It's not. When we give in to temptation, that's what's sinful. See, the fact is, it says this in James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, again, what's it going to do? It gives birth to death. Folks, that's scary. And it should be scary to every one of us. We come to God and we accept Jesus Christ because we know that he loves us so much and he has given us a way out of this. But we also need to have that, that, that reverent fear like we talked about in Sunday school this morning because we know that there is consequences. These, this motivation, the fact is, the motivation that we have to sin, it comes down to simply this. It explains it in this verse. Our selfish desires. And our selfish desires are so hard to put away Whenever we allow ourselves to feel angry and hurt and, and victimized, we've got to watch out and we've got to be careful. And we can all think about that in our lives right now because the, the fact is we've probably all been there where we've really thought we're going to give an excuse or we're going to justify our actions because I needed to get revenge on someone because they did me wrong and I was angry about it. I needed to do something I knew I shouldn't have because I wasn't treated right before. I, I needed to, to, to steal from a store because I felt like they overcharged me on something. Listen, I'm giving some examples, but the fact is, if we really think about it, we've all probably done something similar. We've allowed our desires to control us that led to temptation, that led to sinful actions. And now we've got to subdue it. Now we've got to put it behind us. And the fact is, Whenever we have these problems, whenever we have these, these times that are really, these troublesome times, whenever we have them, that's when we really got to understand that we have got to seek guidance from the Lord. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace, this part right here, to help us when we need it most. Folks, we got to turn to God every single day of our lives. We've got to behave as Christians and the best of our ability every single day. When times are good, we need to turn to God. But listen, I know as, as well as you do, when, when we have troubled times, when we have those times of trouble, 
we most certainly turn to God, and we need to. Look, I know right now that some of y'all are hurting for many different reasons. I know right now that some of you probably have anger in your lives. I know right now that some of us may feel victimized. And again, those are all emotions that we have as human beings. But do not let it blind you from doing what is right. Even when times are the toughest in your life, we have got to be obedient to God. We have to be. And that motivation, because of his love, that is where we need to put our focus and our attention. Because the fact is, our God loves us, and he's faithful to us. And even at our weakest moments, he is there for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, a verse you should know. God is faithful. He will not allow temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. He's going to give you a way out. Now think about that. Anytime that you know, look, you can sit here and you can try to kid yourself, but again, what does it say in the book of James? Maybe it's 1 John. Uh, if you say you're without sin, you're lying. You're fooling yourself. Think about maybe a time in your life when you know that this was true. Maybe you even sinned. Maybe you even convinced yourself at the time that was more than I could stand. I had to give in. But now think back to it. Couldn't you have walked away? Couldn't you have not done it? Couldn't you have said no? Even when we're at our weakest moments, in times of trouble, in times of fear, in times of high anxiety or depression, he gives us a way. That's right. He gives us a way. How important is that? How, how important is that, that God gives us that way out of that temptation? He does not want us to fail. See, the fact is, with Cain and with ourselves, there is no possible way that we ourselves can bridge that gap, that separation between us and God, by ourselves. There's no possible way that we can do it. That's why God gave us another way. That's why God gave us Jesus. Our reconciliation comes through him. Folks, this is some of the most important stuff you could ever learn as a Christian. Without Christ, we are lost. There is no way without him. That means we have to do right. That means we have to obey him. That means we have to follow his commands to us. Because it's only through him that we have that reconciliation with God. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, you guys should know this verse too, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. God, God loved us so much, he sent the way back to him. But the fact is, it wasn't just the life of Jesus that was going to give us the way. It was also that sacrifice. Just like Abel had brought that best portion of his newborn lambs, God gave us his best, his absolute best in his only begotten son. And he died for us as that sacrificial lamb. God gave us his all when he gave us that. And what does Jesus bring us through that sacrifice that he gave us, even though we were so undeserving, he brings us safely 
home. 1 Peter chapter 3.18 tells us that. He suffered for our sins once for all time, but he never sinned. But he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. Reconciliation. Reconciliation. We're blessed by that, to have a God that loved us enough to send us that way, to find our way home. And now we have a responsibility. Regeneration, if you will. That's that moment of forgiveness. When we say, I, I believe, I'm going to repent, I'm, I'm baptized, I'm forgiven of my sins. Regeneration, a new life, born again. And with that regeneration comes that spirit. And that spirit is something that should be evident in our lives every single day. 1 Peter 2.24 he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. Live for righteousness. That's why he did it. So that we can be forgiven. So that our sin is dead through him, the ultimate sacrifice. And so that we can live for what's right. Not, not to waste it. Not, not to throw it away but to actually live for what's right. That's a responsibility that we have. And I thank God, and I think we all should every single day, for that reconciliation that we find through his son. We've got to keep that separation away, and we've got to help the world to know about that separation. We've got to change our motivation from ones of sadness to, one, to instead having that motivation of joy because we know that we have reconciliation. And we've got to accept that reconciliation and live for what's right. Yes, it's a big responsibility. But it's one that as Christians that we have accepted and said that we're committed to. Because at one point, at some time, after that, that day comes when Christ returns and we, we face the throne of judgment or the throne of reward, we're going to have a presentation to make. Just like Cain and Abel presented their sacrifices to God, we are going to have a presentation, and it's not going to be uh, the best stuff that we have or our fruits of our garden or any of our animals or things. It's going to be our lives. Just like Christ gave his life for us, we must live for what's right and give our lives for him in presentation. Genesis 4, 3, 4, it just says what, what Cain and Abel had done. What some or the best portions the best portions. Now think about this. I'm not going to ever talk about politics up here, but if you happen to watch the debate last week, uh, Donald Trump, at one point, someone said, you didn't pay any taxes. You, you didn't pay taxes on however much money you had made. And he said, yeah, that's smart. Yeah, I used my deductions, whatever. I used whatever. However you feel about that, it doesn't matter. But I started thinking about that. The more I thought about that, the more I thought, yeah, you know, I want to take my deductions too and not give the government any more than I have to give them. But as I was preparing the sermon, I thought about it again, and I thought, but man, we can't be like that with God. We can't ever think in our lives that we're going to have deductions or exemptions or loopholes or breaks when it comes to serving the Lord, when it comes to giving to God, when it comes to loving Him with all of our heart. Like it says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, we know this verse very well. Love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind. Notice it doesn't say some. Notice also that it doesn't say your best portion. God gave us a lot. 
He demands that we give him our best in return with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. See, if God's going to give us his best, his all, his son, his grace, we've got to make sure that we understand that he invested a whole lot into us, a whole lot into us. So now we cannot waste it. Let's give him our best in return. Remember what he said. If you do what's right, you will be accepted. And if you don't, watch out. 2 Timothy 2.15, and I'm going to have Ryan leave it right here for a minute because I don't want you to start putting your stuff up because I still have some important stuff to say. That last blank will be the last thing. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, but it correctly explains the word of truth. Work hard where you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. He approved of Abel's sacrifice. He didn't approve of the slacking effort that Cain had given him. Again, now he's asking us for all. for all. Not all your money, not all your stuff. All your heart, your soul, your mind. We've got to take this seriously. Not just seriously in our own lives, but like we talked about earlier, to take it seriously enough that we have legitimate concern for our friends, for our family, for our neighbors that don't know the Lord. That's part of our responsibility to do what's right. We have absolutely 100% got to give God our very, very best every day of our lives. So now I want to ask you, are you giving God your best? Your best effort every single day. If you do, then I'm sure you're like me, and sometimes I fall short. And again, that's what we got to thank God for that reconciliation, that forgiveness. But now, what about giving God your best at doing what's right? Folks, have you made that commitment? Are you doing what's right? Today, I ask you, have you confessed that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Because that's a, something that he's asked us to do. That's doing what's right. Have you repented of your sins and realized that this is something that we're going to have to do for the rest of our lives, continually turn away from sin, change our minds about it, and turn towards God and made that commitment? Have you been baptized? Death, burial, and resurrection to wash away those sins. That's doing what's right, what God has asked us to do. That's giving him our very best. And maybe if you've gone through that, are you living for what's right? Right now in your lives, is your motivation correct? Do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and equally as important, and it goes right along with loving God, you've got to love people enough. You've got to love people. You've got to love your neighbor, and you've got to love them enough to realize and understand that this message applies for them just the same as it does for you. We don't want them to be separated. We don't want them to be banished. We have motivation and it's called reconciliation. So now let's live our lives with regeneration. we got to give God our very best. Would you please bow with me? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we ask right now that you will be with us. Help us to understand the significance of, of, of this message. Of how great of a thing it is that you gave your all to us by giving us your son, 
Like he, how great of a thing it is that he gave his all for us by giving his life, by dying for our sins, even though he had not sinned. Lord, help us to appreciate that forgiveness, that re- reconciliation, that regeneration that you give us through him. Help us to appreciate it in our lives every day by living a righteous life, by living for what's right for you because you've asked us to. And Lord, we know that with that responsibility comes our actions, comes our attitude, comes our behavior. Help us, help us Lord, to show your love through those things so that others too may see. Help us, Lord, to understand the urgency of this message because, Lord, we know that with troublesome times being here, that your son Jesus is coming soon. Lord, we thank you so very much for him and the love that you've had for us to give us away. So in Christ Jesus' most awesome and holy name we do pray. Amen.